Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey there, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am Jonathan Mayo, along with Jim Callis. Of course, we've got minor league games to talk about, uh, so that will fill up a lot of our time today. Uh, we've got a big-time call-up to break down. Our very first prospect team of the week is out. Amazing what happens when games are actually being played. A look at hot minor leaguers. Of course, we're going to talk about the draft. There's some uncertainty at the top. We'll break all that down. And as always, we'll finish up with questions from you in our mailbag. Jim, I have to say, I had forgotten how much fun it was just to scroll through minor league box scores to see how the top prospects or our favorite prospects are doing. I, you know, it's, it, 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 it wastes a lot of time, yes, but it just was so much fun to look through, you know, to see... Uh, how did this guy pitch? How did this guy hit? Uh, it was so much fun over this opening week of the season to to just scroll through box scores and look at numbers. Uh, definitely. I mean, you know, last year, the only time you got to see prospects perform was when they got big league call-ups. And uh, I know you did our inaugural uh, prospect team of the week uh, of 2021, which I, I'm sure in some ways felt a little bit weird since we didn't do any of those in 2020 because there were no minor league players playing. Um, and while <laughs> I, I know there are days, especially in the middle of the draft, where, where it, it can be a chore sometimes to, to muddle through all that, I, I bet I, I'm going to go on a limb, Jonathan, and, and, and suggest that you may have enjoyed this prospect team of the week more than any other prospect team of the week you've assembled. Is you are, that correct? You are, you are not incorrect there. Yes, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun uh, just to have real things to, to look at. Um, so and we'll get into that in, in a little bit, but. But why don't we start things off with probably the, the biggest prospect news. And that, of course, is that Kelnick is coming. Kelnick is coming. Producers, make a note of that because that will be the title of this week's episode. Um, but Jared Kelnick, one of the top prospects in all of baseball, a guy who we thought you know could have been in the big leagues last year. We knew it was going to happen at some point this year. And it appears that now is the time. The Mariners are calling him up uh, this week. Yeah, you know, it's good to see. He didn't even need to sign a long-term deal to get promoted, which was nice. Um, <laughs> you know, good for him. No, it's, I mean, as you know, like, it's funny because we both pretty much liked Jared Kelnick since day one. I mean, I, I tell a story all the time that when I was doing Wisconsin draft stuff in 2018 and a scout compared him to Mark Kotze with more athleticism. I was just like, oh, like, because Mark Kotze was my favorite college player ever to cover. And like, I, I was just like all in from, from, from that day right there. But doesn't it feel like as much as I feel like I've always liked him and you've always liked him, Jonathan, I just keep liking him more and more. Like, like, <laughs> like the, the more he plays, the, the more you talk to people about him, like he, he keeps rising in my estimation. Is that, is that fair? I, I think so, because I, I think you know when he was coming out of the draft, he was an intriguing guy with some tools who played hard, uh, you know, as you said, that athletic. And then people, uh, we, we, I feel like we've sort of broken down your Marcotte comp enough, you know, like th that's nothing to sneeze at, given what people thought Marcotte was coming, you know, coming out as an amateur. But what he's done is he's always is backed it up with incredible. Incredible production, like right out of the gate. You know, this was not a guy who had a, 
a ton of projection necessarily, but he's been good. I mean, he, he made it to double A in his first full season. Uh, this this year, he, he was already off to a, a nine for 22 start with a pair of homers and a couple of stolen bases. He had a 2020 season in his first full year. So how could you not like him? You know, more and more, because when you have a guy that you, you, you kind of think, oh, well, you know, he's got some tools. He's interesting. I really I really like him because he just, you know, he plays like his hair's on fire. He, he's going to maximize his tools like the whole high school, high schooler from Wisconsin thing. And then he goes out and, and kind of and, and outperforms, I think, what we thought he was going to be. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Jim, but if you had told me coming out of the draft that Jared Kelnick would be our number four overall prospect, I don't know that I would have believed you, right? You know, like, like he's really good, but I don't know that I would have put him in that top five stratosphere. Would you have? No, no. And I was going to say, you started to touch on this. He's even like the guy went sixth overall in the draft. You know, sorry, Mets fans to bring that up again, but <laughs> no, he's not. even better than people thought. And he went number six overall in the draft. Like at the time, like like we like you you point out, Jonathan. We knew he could hit, and he played hard. He had great makeup, great instincts. You know, and the other tools were good, but they didn't blow you away. Like the arm was plus. Everything else was kind of fifties, fifty fives. But like I, I was looking, I'm looking at our, our grades we gave him in the draft and the grades he has now, and, and we had him with average power, and now it's plus power. And we had him as a solid runner with maybe chance to stay in center field, and now we have a plus runner with a good chance to stay in center field, and. You know, he, he's gotten better. Um, I don't think he'd even last close to six picks if that draft were redone today. I guess in 2028, when I do that redraft, we can we can figure that out exactly. Um, you won't be but, retired by then? Yeah, that's right around, around. You know, I, I think I'll get my 15 years in for my pension in 2028, but like go. probably not until the end of the year. So I'll, I'll do, be doing that that redraft story. But um, but no, it's in and, you know, it's funny, too, because I know I've told this story before, but like. In the fall league in 2019, I remember being taken, not taken aback, but I, but I, I did a story in Kelnick. He was making his fall league debut. He had had his wisdom teeth out, so his fall league debut was delayed, and he was kind of ticked off because I remember him uttering the famous quote, I don't play baseball with my mouth. I could have played a week ago. He was, he was a little ticked away, but I asked him, you know, like we always ask everybody in the fall league, you know, what are you working on? What do you need to do? You know, you're close to the majors. What do you need to go to get there? <laughs> and Kelnick just matter of fact was like, I'm, I'm ready right now. I, I think I'm ready to play. I, 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 I'm confident I could get the job done. Like the thing I need to work on is going to be dealing with adversity because I really haven't had to. And I know there are going to be times when I struggle in the big leagues, but I, I'm ready to play now. And I was just like, you know, again, you talk about, you know, liking someone even more at the time he just turned 20. Um, you know, he was barely 20 and, and played one full season in the minors and he was, and he was ready to go. And, and, and to be honest, Jonathan, I don't know that he was really wrong. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what you can really read into the alternate site as, you know, you know, guys readiness. But like, all I know is like that, that the Mariners kept tweeting out, you know, here's Jared Kelnick roping another ball out of the park at the alternate site. I mean, he was, it, it seemed like every time he, we, we, we saw a video clip of Jared Kelnick, he was barreling a ball at the alternate site. Um, and, and I don't think he was too far wrong. I think he's just one of these guys, honestly, who he could just really hit and his instincts are really good and his tools are solid and, and it makes a great player. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you. I could, I could not be more excited to, to see him in the big leagues. Yeah. Anecdotally, he hit about 900 in the alt site. Uh, and, uh, and I, you know, the thing is, you know, we, I think we, we talk about this all the time. And one of the things I liked about him, cause I talked to him, I think it was spring training, before his first full season, the first thing I noticed is that he had become like incredibly physical. I mean, what he was physical coming out, but he had clearly spent his first off season as a professional working his tail off, and he was in ridiculous shape. And there was that confidence. And the, and the thing is, you want a guy to be confident. And you, you know, you and I have both talked to scouting directors who were like, "Give me a guy who's cocky, right? You want a guy who thinks he's ready." And that doesn't mean that he thinks he's got it all figured out, right? He, there, I think there is that, that fine line. And any time that I've encountered him or talked to him, he, he walks that line incredibly well. So I, I think he's going to do 
exceptionally well, and he's going to make adjustments. I'm not too worried about his ability to to handle adversity. He does play extremely hard. Um, so even if he's not swinging the bat, you know, tremendously well, he he can do things on the base paths. He can do things defensively. He's going to contribute right away. So I, I think that's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to to see him in 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 that outfield. And he is, you know, the first of the of our top top prospects to make it up to to the big leagues, which begs the question, who's next? So, Jim, I will pose the question to you. You know, know, of the top five right now, the only guy who could get called up is Wanda Franco uh, because the the rule state now, you can only call a guy up from from AAA. I mean, you can do it from AA, but there are all sorts of hoops you have to jump through, and by the time – yeah, and by the time you by the time you got the guy up, it, it, it wouldn't serve its purpose um, because it wouldn't be timely. Um, so, I mean, I guess the the Wander Franco is on the clock, uh, but I'm curious to the then you've got Mackenzie Gore at number six. Those are the two guys that sort of I'm looking at to see like, all right, well, who's going to generate that 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 buzz of a a top guy getting called up for the first time? No, I, I think you're right. I mean, just looking at the top guys, I mean. You know, the Orioles and Tigers, it really doesn't behoove them to call guys up quickly anyway for service time reasons. So, I mean, I think it's Franco. I mean, the, the, the thing I, th- I mean, I think Franco could play in the big leagues right now. Um, I mean, he's hitting the ball well again this year and he's, you know, the best prospect in baseball. It's just his team's really good and it's a matter of need. You know, somebody asked me yesterday, you know, what position I thought he was going to play in the big leagues because they have a dominant short. And I said, I really think it's going to be whatever position they really need at the time, you know, whether it's, you know, Joey Wendell's playing well at third right now, you know, Brandon Lau is okay at second, ha- you know, having a so-so year, hitting for power, not not really hitting for average, but had a good year last year. You know, they've got outfielders having up and down seasons. Um, it's really going to be a matter of when you plug him in. So I, I think it's probably Franco with Gore. You keep, you know, I keep hearing, you probably do too, Jonathan, you know, a little bit about the, you know, mechanical, you know, inconsistencies, you know, that they're still trying to iron out that kind of cropped up last year. So I don't know if he's really imminent. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think it does. I, I but but it how does. about this? I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question now. Is it possible? I, I, you wonder, Franco, I think, is clearly the next guy. But is it possible that the next next guy say in our top 10 of the guys we have who haven't debuted could it be cj abrams or bobby witt jr um cj abrams i mean again it was small sample size but cj abrams off to a great start the potteries are in it to win it this year i, I wonder if cj abrams keeps tearing it up if cj abrams winds up working his way into the potteries lineup sooner rather than later well, that would be interesting. And, you know, just a note on Franco, he's played five games so far, three at short and two at second. Uh, you know, so th- if that gives you any indication as to where you think the Rays think he might fit in, he hasn't played any games at third so far. You know, the the interesting thing, I think, with Abrams and Witt is because, you know, the, they're both in double A. Uh, you know, both teams kind of jumped them pretty quickly. So I could certainly I could certainly see that. Uh, you know, the question, you know, and, and I don't think anyone doubts Abrams' ability to move off of shortstop. He's played one game uh, at second base. Uh, so if we're going to listen, they, they've only played six games, right? So we're not going to draw anything from the sample sizes, uh, just like I'm going to discount a, a potential uh, inbox question asking about Adley Rushman's strikeout rate. You know, he's at 34 at-bats in double-A, please. Like, let's let's pump the brakes. But uh, you know, I think that, you know, if you see those guys get moved to AAA, you know, it's not going to happen right away. I, mean, I don't know what I'd give them a month maybe in AA. And if they're dominating that level, then then move them up. Because as much as, yes, the Padres are in it to win it, you don't want to do anything that's going to hurt his development. This is a guy who's, you know, played, uh, you know, mostly in the Arizona Rookie League. He played two games in, in the Midwest League in 2019, then hasn't played since then. Wit sort of is in the, in the same boat with this, you know, with the off year. It's been interesting to see. Uh, and I think the amazing thing, Jim, overall, to sort of tie all this together is how young everybody is, right? C.J. Abrams is 20. You know, 
Wander Franco it just turned 20 in March. Jared Kelnick, you, you talked about being a 2018 draftee. He would have been he would have been a college junior in this year's class if he hadn't signed out of high school. Uh, so he's 21. I mean, so you know, we've talked for a while now about the game skewing younger. And I, I think there was some sort of wonder about whether or not uh, the, the year off would, you know, mean like guys would get backlogged and guys would get older, you know, things like that. But I, I think with, the, with this subset of guys at the very, very top, the game is still skewing really young. Yeah, and, and I think, and, and we said this on last week's podcast too, I, I do feel like with, 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 with the most organizations are treating their better prospects like kind of extrapolating, like where would this guy have played last year and then where would he have been ready to play in 2021 rather than saying, well, he didn't get to play outside of the Altsightner Instructional League last year. So I, I think we're going to continue to see the best prospects in baseball develop rapidly and get advanced rapidly despite missing a full season of minor league games last year. No, I think that's right. Uh, and speaking uh, of young guys uh, doing well uh, over over the course, at least of the start of the season, let's let's move on to what we saw in the first week of this minor league season. We'll use our prospect team of the week, which you um, so deftly teased earlier earlier on. Uh, our first ever prospect team of the week. Now, the way we do this is we we vote in, on prospects who are on a top thirty list. So it can't be a guy who's not ranked who has a great week. Sorry for those guys, uh, but you know, keep keep on producing, and maybe you make your way onto a list. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run down the team very quickly. There were three Mets, there were two Yankees, and two Rays uh, on this list. Uh, two and a half Rays, if you want to count Jesus Sanchez now with the Marlins. But get uh, Francisco Alvarez, the Mets catcher. Michael Toglia at first base from the Rockies. Trevor Halver, uh, Yankee second baseman. Brett Beatty from the Mets at third. Ronnie Mauricio from the Mets at short. I mentioned Sanchez now with the Marlins in the outfield. He's joined by Vidal Brujan of the Rays, uh, Helio Ramos of the Giants. John Doxakis uh, from the Rays is the left-handed starting pitcher. Luis Medina of the Yankees was the righty, and a reliever was Mauricio uh, Lavera from the Phillies. Uh, anything that stood out from that group or any other guys, Jim, who like really impressed uh, you with how they, how they performed? And we should mention that you know a guy like Jared Kelnick, by the way, had an absolutely huge first full week, but uh, the three outfielders we chose had slightly better ones. Yeah, yeah, I think the guy who jumped out the most to me, Jonathan, was Trevor Halver of the Yankees. You know, he's making his pro debut in low A for the Yankees in low A Tampa, which is going to be hard for me to wrap my head around because Tampa is one of the franchises that literally had been in the same league and the same classification since I started working at Baseball America in 1988. And now it's a low A franchise, which is going to mess me up. But anyway. That was, the, by the way, that was the hardest thing about doing Prospect Team of the Week was like, wait, what level is this? Oh, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, when we were doing the, the, the series of stories on where all the top 30 prospects were starting the year, it was goofy. Like, I, again, I will thank the White Sox. <laughs> Their four teams are at the same levels, and it, the leagues have different names, basically the same leagues they were in before. So I, I wish all my, my organizations were like the White Sox, but, but not the case. But anyway, with Trevor Halver, like, you know, if you were had me pick, okay, which top 30 prospect will have more home runs than anybody, after the first week of the season, I would not have gone with Trevor Halver. Um, number 23 on our Yankees list. I'm sure people, next week's mailbag can be, why is he only number 23 on the Yankees list? But six home runs, homered in all five of his games uh, that he played uh, in the first week of the season. And, and he, you know, John, I know he was one of your draft guys. I, I just thought he was he was an interesting guy coming out of the draft for a couple reasons. One, he's not the most tooled up guy, but he's just a really confident hitter who can hit and, and he's got some power and they were going to convert him from outfield at, at Arizona state to second base. There were, there were some like, like parallels to Daniel Murphy, or if you want to be a little more conservative, Rob ref Snyder, who, who was a, a college second baseman or college outfielder became a second baseman. And, and it was interesting because we, we talked about that Arizona state infield was probably the best defensive infield in college baseball, which is why, I mean, however, has a chance to play second base. I mean, you had Alika Williams at shortstop, who was a race supplemental first rounder, you know, one of the best college shortstops in last year's draft. You had Gage Workman, who was the best defensive third baseman 
college third baseman in last year's draft who would have played shortstop for a lot of college teams. You had Torkelson, who's reasonably athletic for a first baseman, who probably would have played third on a lot of college teams and gotten that opportunity. And at second, you had Drew Swift, who would have played shortstop on a lot of college teams. So Trevor Halver, even though he was a shortstop in high school, th- there was just no way. I mean, you basically had a three shortstop infield. So he, he wasn't going to play the infield. But he, but he intrigued me coming into the year. And, and he's obviously off to a hot start. He hit really well at Arizona State. So he was the guy, for, for me, Jonathan, who kind of caught my eye the most is, I think he was the lowest ranked prospect uh, on a top 30 uh, on the prospect team. Well, no, John Zox Axis was at, at 29. But, um, but he was the most interesting guy to me on that list just because he was, you know, not as highly touted. Who, who, when you were putting it together, who, who was the guy who, who kind of jumped out at you? I think the guy that I kind of was looking at um, the most, and it was interesting about Halver because you know Drew Swift, by the way, who you mentioned, is now playing shortstop at Arizona State. So uh, it shows you, you know, that he certainly had he he only didn't play short because of Alika Williams. Um, I think Vidal Bruhan was the guy that kind of intrigued me. You know, not that he's you know an off the radar kind of guy at all. He's number forty one on our top one hundred list, but you know, we give so much attention to Wander Franco understandably so. Uh, and he and, and, and Bruhan are, are at the top of that Durham Bulls lineup. You know, the thing that was interesting is, you know, whenever we talked about Bruhan, we're like, all right, well, it looks like he can, you know, he can hit, uh, you know, makes a lot of contact, barrels of the ball, and he's, you know, one of the fastest guys in the minors. He can really run, but, you know, will he impact the baseball enough? Uh, and then, you know, we started to get the sense like, well, there's enough extra base authority there. He came out of the gate and hit four homers in, in the first week. Now, understandably small sample size, but to to come out of the gate and walk twice as much as he struck out, drive in nine runs and hit four homers, you know, and, and he hit two out on, on Saturday. He had back-to-back homers on Wednesday and Thursday of last week. Uh, you know, to me, like, if anything close to that, and I, I don't expect him to hit four homers every six games, uh, but if the – if he spent this year plus off like really working on strength and, and, and he added strength as he's just physically matured. We're looking at a much more interesting prospect to me. And that, and the fact that he spent more time in the outfield than at second base, he played two games at second and four in the outfield, you know, the Rays love positional flexibility anyway. So I think he's putting himself in a position where he's showing that he could help out in a number of different positions uh, and, and, you know, we talk about guys who will be next to the big leagues and obviously Wander Franco is the guy everyone wants to know about, but his teammate in Durham may be knocking on the door just as loudly, even if he's not thought of as, uh, you know, quite the, uh, the level of, of prospect right now as, uh, as Franco is. I almost wonder too, and I think we've talked about this if Bruhan winds up getting traded, cause I just think it's going to be tough for, you know, like you already are going to have to figure out a place to shoehorn Franco into the lineup somewhere and he's versatile and Bruhan's is versatile the same way. Like they both could play all over the infield and outfield. But I just wonder if, if Bruhan either winds up becoming that super utility guy, you know, although the Rays already have a pretty deep lineup or if he just winds up, if, if there's a, a trade to make that he becomes the key piece. Cause man, he seems like there's a lot of roadblocks to him playing every day in Tampa Bay, even as talented as he is. Yeah, he could be a very valuable trade piece. So that's true. Well, we'll see how things go. Obviously, just week one, you know, no one played more than six games, uh, and and a lot of the guys on the on the team only played, uh, you know, three or four. So uh, we'll see what trends come out of this as we continue to look uh, at uh, minor league performances. Plenty of guys who didn't make the list uh, who had good weeks. Uh, you know, Corbin Carroll kind of comes to mind uh, and he that you know he also had a, a big game on Monday after you know after the vote but he's off to a very very good start for uh, the Diamondbacks uh, he's a guy that sort of jumps to mind as a guy who didn't make the the prospect team of the week but he's off to uh, a start with an OPS of almost 1.5 so um, that's pretty good in my book um, so I think we're going to take a break right now when we come back we're going to talk about what else the upcoming draft right after this on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. 
or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Again, Jonathan Mayo along with Jim Callis. And we're going to turn our attention to the draft. Can't go too long without talking about it. And uh, things are as always, getting more interesting as we roll along. Uh, but in this case, we're at a point where I think we're getting less clarity at the top than more clarity uh, at, at the top. Um, we're going to get to Jim's latest mock draft in, in a minute. But Jim, do you want to just give a, a, a quick synopsis on why things are, are, are getting jumbled to, at, at the top? Sure. And, you know, one, reason one <laughs> is that in a normal year, we'd be about a month away from the draft. And instead, as we record this, we're exactly two months away from the draft. So there's a lot, you know, teams aren't as locked in because they have more time to figure things out. But the, the top is just becoming more and more muddled. You know, we, we, we do our weekly Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker update, and, and we'll talk about the mock in a second. I got a lot of Twitter heat from from fans, like, "How can you not have the Vanderbilt pitchers going? One of them going number one to the Pirates? How dare and, you?" Yeah, I know, and, but it's it's you know, as we keep saying on this podcast, those guys are very good, but it's not like they're head and shoulders above everybody else. They're they're in a tier of the top players. They're not alone on the tier by themselves. And this weekend. Uh, you know, more confusion. You know, Kumar Rocker pitches against Alabama on Friday. He strikes out 13 in five innings, but he also throws 110 pitches because he walks five guys and gives up six hits. And he wasn't commanding his stuff real well. And, you know, he's been inconsistent with I mean, He's had a really good year performance wise. He's 11 and one. His, his numbers are all great. Um, but at the same time, he his his stuff has been a little inconsistent. His his velocity, his command, and teams I think are still trying to figure out exactly what to make a Kumar Rocker. And then, you know, Jack Leiter we've talked about. You know, beginning of the season, he was I think the easy favorite to go number one because he was so dominant. No hitter in his first SEC start. No hitter for seven innings. The second SEC start for coming out for pitch count. But as we we've talked about, because again we update these guys every week. You know, Jack gave up eight homers in his previous three SEC starts coming into this weekend and, and got hit. I mean, he was still missing bats, but when he made mistakes, he was leaving breaking balls up. He wasn't always commanding the fastball. It was getting hit, you know, after not getting hit at all earlier in the year. And this week on very short notice, Vanderbilt announced Saturday, he would not be making a start. He was going to take a week of rest. And I, I know the scouts I've talked to are a little <laughs> like there are guys who were there to see him on Saturday or in town to see him on Saturday. And it was a little odd, usually that if you were going to give a guy a week off and it was planned, you would have, you know, like that would have come out, you know, earlier than the day of the game. So everybody's you would like to think so anyway, kind of scratching their head as to what that means. And then arguably the third best college pitcher in this draft, like in the running to be the the, the first guy taken after Vandy guys is Gunnar Hogland at at at, uh, at Ole Miss. And a couple of weeks ago, he missed a start, and it was like, ah, kind of a precaution. I think they said it was a biceps issue. He came back and pitched well. Well, this week he pitched. He got two outs against Texas A&M, and he came out with forearm stiffness. And 
Jonathan, I, I, I'm not a doctor. I didn't play one on TV and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But if we'll all recall that Jaden Hill had forearm stiffness and then yeah. we found out he you know, needed Tommy John surgery. And, and I'm not saying that's going to happen to Gunnar Hogland, but that, that is the path that happens a lot of times. So there's concern about that. And, and oh, by the way, <laughs> like I don't think this will really affect his draft status, but Matt McLean of UCLA – who was after dropping a little bit was heating back up and moving back up the charts, you know, broke a finger. And I think he's going to miss some time. I, I don't think that affects his long-term prognosis, but so all of a sudden now we have injuries. And I, and I do think Jonathan, I'll throw this question to you because, because you and I are both talking to a lot of scouts. Like I've suspected, I think you've suspected, I know scouts I've talked to have suspected that we're going to see pitchers kind of start to hit the wall about now in general because not a lot of guys pitched a lot of real innings last year. And now guys are getting up around 50, 60 plus innings with another month, you know, to, to go before the NCAA playoffs. Start. Yeah. I, I mean, I would almost be surprised if that didn't happen, you know, because even if guys really worked super hard during, during when things were shut down and then, you know, quieter fall and things like that, and they worked on their strength and conditioning, nothing replaces competitive innings in terms of the energy you need to, you know, to, to get ready for that full season, you know, and, and I'll use Jack Leiter as an example, you know, and I think we sort of take the same wait and see approach that we did with Gunnar Hoglund when he was shut down for that first week. Okay. Doesn't necessarily mean anything, especially since with, with Leiter, they didn't attach any kind of arm soreness or even fatigue or, you know, you know, it, it is, it's possible, you know, although everyone's, you know, raising eyebrows that this is just, you know, monitoring his workload and he felt, you know, kind of tired. So they said, you know, now's a good time to get to, to, to give him that, that week off because he's, he's never come close to pitching anything, you know, to a full season. It's his first time facing SEC hitters, you know, as, as Tim Corbin pointed out uh, in the interview that we had on, on this very podcast last week. So I think there's a wait and see, you know, if he comes back next week, and looks fine and pitches well and then is consistent kind of the rest of the way, then I think that it won't matter that they, you know, that they skip the start, obviously. If he struggles or he misses more time, then, then there are more question marks. But to your, to your question, Jim, you know, I don't see how they couldn't get run down. Uh, I don't care how, you know, what kind of shape you're in and, and, you know, the fact that it's why I think a lot of big league teams are giving guys extra days off or going with six man rotations and finding ways to manage workloads after not coming close to anything of what's going to happen this year. So there are still so many question marks, especially around the pitching. I don't think, and I agree with you, by the way, that I think the finger injury, the only thing that might hurt with, for Matt McLean is the fact that he was really starting to swing the bat well. So maybe it caps off how high he can rise himself up, but he may be back. I don't know if he'll be back in time for postseason play, um, but uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see there. Let's take a look at your mock uh, from last, which from last week, which, you know, now, now feels hopelessly of all outdated. Like I, I'm right. not ready to rip it up and start over. Yeah. Which, well, which that, will I mean, next week. <laughs> everyone should know, by the way, that both Jim and I are ready to rip up a mock the second after it goes live. Um, because there's all, especially this far out with so many question marks, but you did have the Pirates taking Jordan Lawler, uh, number one. Uh, Jack Leiter, number two to the Rangers. Marcelo Mayer, uh, number three to the Tigers. Kumar Rocker, the number four spot. And Brady House at number five uh, to the Orioles. I won't go through the rest of it. You can still find the mock on MLB Pipeline uh, if you want to go and look through all 29 picks. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Jim. You talk about people being upset that you know you didn't have one of the Vanderbilt pitchers number one, or you didn't have them one two. Um, I was talking to uh, a scouting director for a team, not picking in the top four, and uh, obviously I can't say which team it was, but they are they are actually hoping that Lighter and Rocker go above them because they they don't they don't want to they don't want to take them. Um, and they don't want to be forced with having to make that decision. So, you know, I, I think it starts to get interesting that if, say, Kumar Rocker continues to be inconsistent or lighter misses more time or doesn't throw as well, where they end up. I don't think they're – we're not talking about tumbling 
super, super far, you know, unless money starts to get, you know, come into play uh, and signability. But, you know, we've been saying all along that it's not a slam dunk. You know, we've talked about rockers inconsistencies for a while and Jack Leiter doesn't have track record and he's, you know, a smaller right-hander. There's not a lot of history of guys who, who profile like he does going at the very top of the draft. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out uh, as to how difficult it gets as we continue to do mocks. And I'll do one uh, next week um, where, where the, 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 the Vandy duo lands. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's impossible at all for the first four picks to be in whatever order, but say Jordan Lawler to the Pirates, Marcelo Mayer to the Rangers, Brady House to the Tigers, and Louisville catcher Henry Davis to the Red Sox. Like, I like it's possible that the Vandy guys might not even go in the top four. I mean, it, it'll be interesting. There's, there's a lot to be played out. I mean, we're nitpicking these guys. You get nitpicked when you're at the top of the draft. You know, I've heard similar sentiments you know, kind of expressed to me as, you know, it'd be kind of tough if you're picking lower in the top 10 and rocker or lighter gets to you and they're the best player on your board, but you know that their, you know, financial expectations aren't going to necessarily change just because they went say seventh. I'm just picking a number at random rather than going one or two. And, and, and then you might get bit caught in a situation where, even though you eventually, I, I think both those guys go high enough that they get offered enough money that they have really no choice but to sign. But if you can't see eye to eye on what that bonus should be, they could tie up your bonus pool all summer, and then it, it limits your ability to do, st- you know, do, you know, make moves with your other picks. And as you and I both know, you know, with the bonus pools in play, teams really want to know what they're spending really on every pick, but especially your top guy to know how much money you have to play with for the rest of the draft. If I'm just picking out a number here, I don't know what these guys are asking for, but let's say, you know, $7 million is going to be the price tag on the Vanderbilt guys. Maybe that's like, I'm just picking seven at random. Well, if, if, if I'm picking, well, let's say I pick seventh and my slot is, is less than $7 million and I don't necessarily want to give them $7 million. Maybe I want to give them six, like I, I got to figure out what that number is so I know what I'm doing with the rest of my picks. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to those guys. And, and I agree with you. Like I don't. I think if Jack Leiter comes back and he's fine, and, and I don't think anybody's even suggesting he's hurt. I mean, he, he he hadn't pitched as well. He was getting hit. He wasn't throwing as many strikes or commanding as well the last two or three weeks. That from a a, a competitive standpoint, you know, Vanderbilt. I mean, I assume they're going to you know host a regional and a super regional if they advance. Uh, you know, winning, you know, this week and they, they beat Alabama anyway and their third game got canceled. It, it, you know, you, you're better for a competitive standpoint for resting Jack later this week and having him be at his best down the stretch. So uh, you, what you said is exactly correct. If he comes back and he looks like the Jack later for the first, you know, five, six weeks of the season, then nobody's going to care that he, that he missed a start in May. And, and again, I don't think anybody even is suggesting he's hurt. It's just if they were planning on doing this, the timing of the announcement was was struck some people as odd. Yeah, and and certainly left some scouts uh, a little annoyed because they would have made plans to go other uh, elsewhere. Uh, you know, one of the things that's always interesting when we do the mock is you know there are guys that you know you hear could end up in 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 the first round. Uh, we either can't find a place for them, or maybe they won't end up there, but they they're they're in those conversations. So for this week's five guys. Uh, we're looking at five guys who could go in the first round, but were not in the most recent mock draft. Um, why don't we just alternate here? I'll I'll start us off. Um, and these a, are in no particular order, really. So I don't think. Uh, yeah, they're loose. Yeah, they're certainly not ranked in order of probability of going the first round. Uh, we've got three. They're all five are high schoolers. The top three are. Our hitters, and then we've got a couple of uh, prep lefties to to talk about. So, I'm going to start with James Wood, who is really uh, an intriguing guy. He's at IMG Academy in Florida, and uh, Jim, I know you and I both were sort of enamored with him based on what we were hearing uh, over, especially the first part of the summer, because he was a, a guy who was kind of interesting. He's got some tools, seemed a little raw, and then for the for a large chunk of the summer against really good competition, he may have been the best 
high school hitter uh, in, in, in the country. He was making a lot of contact. He was showing off the raw power. He could run. I mean, this was a really exciting guy uh, who, you know, I know I had kind of circled as, all right, we're going to put him sort of as a back half of the first round kind of guy, but with, a, with an up arrow next to his name. This is a guy who could really take off um, in the spring except that he has really struggled for most of the spring. Um, He's been lost at the plate. There's been a lot of swing and miss concerns. And those were worries to begin with. Um, You know, so I still think that he could land in the first round because the tools are so loud. Uh, And if he can right the ship down the stretch, and he's the kind of guy who I think will probably be incredibly impressive uh, if and when he goes to any private workouts with teams, that that could make him climb into that sort of back half uh, of the of the first round. One of the things that I've been hearing a lot, uh, not just about James Wood, but in general, there are certain kinds of players that scouts now sort of like to say, well, he's, he's like a Padres kind of pick. Because the Padres are not afraid of the sort of high-end athletic guys with some, some risk-reward. And, and James Wood certainly fits that category and lo and behold, the Padres do pick in the you know in the, in the back half of, of the first round, so that could be uh, a, an interesting spot for him when all is said and done. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll call your uh, your high school outfielder with another high school outfielder, um, Will Taylor from South Carolina. Who, if I was redoing the mock, I, I would put him in the first round in the twenties. I, I just ran out of room uh, when I was doing it, and I actually like him. I think a little bit better going in the first round than a couple of the names I had toward the end. Um, you know, he's a super interesting guy. He's three sport athlete, um, counted for 32 touchdowns, uh, while leading Dutch Fork high school to the South Carolina 5A title this fall. Um, as that was as a quarterback, he's committed to play slot receiver for Clemson, as well as the outfield. Um, Dabo Sweeney (laughs) keeps comparing him to Hunter Renfro, who, you know, was a, a legend at Clemson is now playing in the NFL. Um, so you got that, that football full court press on him and he's also a wrestler, he was state champion wrestler at 152 pound weight class as a sophomore, 160 pounds as a junior. I guess I should check and see if he won again as a senior. Um, but he's also like really advanced for a multi-sport guy, even though he hasn't devoted himself to baseball full time. He's got a good swing. Uh, he, he's hit on the showcase circuit against good pitches. He shows ability to make adjustments. There's some question, I think, as to exactly how much power he's going to have the plate because he's 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 a Six foot one seventy five guy, one hundred seventy five pound guy. He's not a huge guy, but you know he he's a wiry, strong wrestler. He, he's driving the ball more consistently this year. He could add some loft to his stroke. Um, he's a he's a plus plus runner. Some guys will, will get eighty run times on him at times. Um, he's got instincts in center field. Um, so I think it's a really good package of tools, and there's aptitude, and, and there's makeup. I, I ultimately think he gets picked high enough to to, to not worry about the Clemson football. Although you're going to have to deal with that to some extent too, um, you know, kind of interesting. I mean, Clemson football has two of the better guys in the draft this year, Jonathan, in in him and with Bubba Chandler, who who's a quarterback recruit, um, who we we've projected to go in the first round. Yeah, really interesting. And I have no idea what the like track record of wrestlers to baseball like that's not the a, a sport combination we've heard uh, too much of. Uh, I'm curious whether they had wrestling at all. You know, a lot of indoor. You know, like the winter sports kind of got or pushed back. And I, I have some basketball players in my area in the Pacific Northwest, some of whom are playing basketball and baseball simultaneously uh, because they pushed the basketball to the, to the spring. So uh, certainly interesting. Last of the, uh, the high school hitters uh, is Carson Williams. Now, he, he's from the San Diego area, uh, shortstop. And you may look at our top 150 and see him at 150 and be like, wait, How's that guy a first rounder? We kind of snuck him into the back end because as we were getting the top 150, we're starting to hear his name more. Um, there were some questions, so we I hedged bets a little bit. Um, but you know, he's the kind of guy that, as more decision makers are going to see him, his name has been rapidly rising up. We are going to be expanding to a top 200. We may not shuffle the deck too much in terms of the top 150, but he is a guy that I will definitely. Uh, have to to move up based on the feedback that we've been getting. Uh, you know, this is a, a guy who's 6'2", 180. He's really athletic, committed to Cal. You know, kind of put his name on the map at the perfect 
game the uh, you know the WWBA World Championship in October. And, and that answered some questions because there were some scouts in the area who were concerned about his ability to hit against, you know, high quality pitching. Uh, but there's offensive upside. There's bat speed. There's some loft to his swing. He's going to get stronger. His frame looks like it's going to add strength. He runs well. He's got uh, an arm that fires 95 mile an hour fastballs off the mound, but he wants to be a, a position player. Chance to stay at short. Good instincts defensively. So the combination of those instincts and the athleticism and 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 the the room for upside, you know, has him sort of reaching up into that. I still think he's maybe more of a comp round kind of guy. I think, but you know, those guys sometimes what happens is if you're a team in the first round and you don't have a comp round pick and you thought, oh, maybe I can get him in the second round, you go and get him. Not the same kind of player, but uh, kind of like when the Pirates decided to take Cole Tucker. Uh, because they realized he wasn't going to be there with their next pick, so they went and took him at, uh, uh, you know, took him in the first round. All right, let's move on to those those two uh, prep lefties. Uh, Jim, you can start us off by talking about Josh Hartle. Yeah, yeah, and we almost could do a a five guys of, of prep lefties if we wanted, because I th- I think there's a number of, of rising prep left handers. You know, Hartle, a lot of guys really fell in love with him on the showcase circuit last year. Um, you know, he's, he's, you know, North Carolina seems to have, you know, a really good lefty every couple of years, you know, Mackenzie Gore, Blake Walston, a recent first round picks. He doesn't have quite the same ceiling or at, I speak athleticism is what I'm trying to say as those guys, but he's got three pitch mix. He can, he can really pitch a little bit of a slow start this year. He had an appendectomy, you know, velocity was down a little bit throwing bullpens when he came back from that North Carolina only has recently started, uh, their high school season. It's, it's a very abbreviated public school season in North Carolina. He came out with a, a 14 strikeout perfect game last week. Um, and, you know, he's he's six foot five. It, it's a lower arm slot, so he gets lots of angle and sink uh, on a, a low 90s fastball that, that plays above its velocity. Um, he's got a, you know, one of those sweepy sliders that could be a solid pitch when it's on. He's got advanced feel for a changeup. He, you know, really does a nice job of, of locating his stuff. Um, you know, there's some projectability there because it's 6'5", 195. And I, I think as he's, you know, now that he's pitching and he's putting apodectomy further behind him, I think there's a really good chance he goes in the first round when all is said and done. My guy also sort of a, you know, a, a, a big lefty with unusual, you know, unusual delivery. Um Anthony Solometto, he's in New Jersey. It, it is a weird year in New Jersey, just in the fact that there's a lot of really interesting talent. Uh, Chase Petty, you know, the guy most people are talking about throwing 100 miles an hour from the right side, but then you've got Solometto, and then a little bit further down is Pierce Coppola, who I have to give a shout-out to because he goes to Verona High School, which was my alma mater, uh, and I haven't been able to talk about Verona High School in a, in a baseball setting in any way, shape, or form. Uh so that's exciting. But Solomedo is a guy who a lot of local scouts liked, and they wanted to see how he came out this spring. And he has been throwing really, really well. I mean, he's six foot three. Um, he's going to continue to add strength. He's got you know f- potential to have three above average to plus pitches. He's got a, a big uh, high kick, sort of like Mackenzie Gore. Um, his delivery, you know, from his arm slot wise is kind of like Madison Bumgarner, um, but it all works. He throws a lot of strikes. Uh, this is a guy who's up to 95 miles an hour. He commands his fastball uh, extremely well, uh, stands out because of that, unlike um, a lot of high school lefties. Um, you know, he's committed to North Carolina, but as his name continues to go up, if he doesn't go in the back end of the first round, I think he's the kind of guy, and maybe this is the same thing with, with Hartle, Jim, that uh, you know, we don't want people saying, well, you said he was going to go in the first round. If he goes in the comp round or the second round, if he goes in the, you know, in the, in the top 10 rounds, he's, he's, he's going to sign. But it's going to be one of those teams with extra picks that, so if he doesn't go first round proper, a team can take him and still give him a first round level bonus to, to, to get a guy like that signed. No, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, like it, it doesn't matter where you get paid, you know, like, like there and teams like to do that strategy, especially with high school righties, but also with high school players in general, if you can save some money with your first round pick, then you can, you know, overpay, you know, compared to slot your second round pick and, uh, you know, and get another really good player. 
All right, when we come back, we'll go back to the minor league scene. We'll talk about uh, a new entrant to the top 100. And of course, we'll take your questions in our mailbag coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. All right, we're back here in the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan May along with Jim Callis. Home stretch here for today's episode. Uh, we've only got one new Top 100 guy since last time we spoke, uh, and that is uh, humongous right-hander Jackson Rutledge uh, of the Washington Nationals. He's gotten off to a little bit of a rough start over his first two outings this year, but he was the Nats' first-round pick, 17th overall in 2019. When I say huge, he is... Six foot eight, comes in at 245 pounds, or at least listed at 245 pounds. Um, coming out of uh, San Jack Junior College, uh, and and I interviewed him in spring training. Uh, it was in 2020, but it feels like it was 17 years ago. And he is every bit the 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 six foot eight that he said he's just an enormous human being, and uh, sits in the mid 90s and can reach back for more, uh, high spin fastball, throws it for strikes. Uh, he's got a plus slider uh, to, to go along with it, um, and he can manipulate that pitch as he needs to. Uh, the curve and changeup, uh, he's improved, so they're both average pitches. You know, the one thing is command, uh, but that's gotten better as he's, you know, as he's uh, gotten more time, and I think he just needs reps uh, at this point. Uh, obviously, he's not thrown a lot of innings. He only was at about 37 entering this season. So this is a guy who has tremendous, tremendous upside as a as a guy with a power repertoire who could you know sit at or close to the top of, of a rotation when all is said and done. And he joins uh, Cade Cavalli, uh, the, uh, his Nationals organization mate, in the top 100 now. Now, Jim, the reason why Jackson Rutledge was added is because Michael Kopech is finally – it seems like it, you know, we've been talking about him for a very long time, um, ever since he got traded, well, ever since he was drafted, but the guy throws triple digits and things like that. Uh, but between the injury and sitting out last year, it's this has been a long time in coming, but boy, has he made the most of his his opportunity with the White Sox this year. No, he, he really has. It, it's nice to see him come back. And, and you know, he basically you know, got to the big leagues in 2018, He'd really turned a corner throwing strikes in AAA. White Sox were really excited, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. And then he blows his elbow out in, in his fourth start. And then, you know, he, he opted out of last season. Um, you know, I think he pitched, I think he pitched an inning in spring training last year um, after missing 2019. And then he opted out. And, and then he was back this year. But, but, the, but the good thing to see is he's reclaimed the stuff that made him one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. You know, he's, he's throwing, you know, mid to upper nineties consistently. He's got the power slider. He's, he's been a great weapon for the white Sox who've used him as a multi-inning reliever. And they actually gave him a couple spot starts. Uh, he pitched well in those. Um, he's throwing strikes. He had, he had an outing against the reds. which was a little shaky where he walked four guys in inning and two thirds, but also struck four to kind of get out of it without giving up a run in a game. They eventually lost one, nothing. He was not involved in the decision. But other than that, he's only walked four guys in, in, in 20 plus innings. He's got a ton of strike, and nobody's hitting this guy at all. So I, I think, 
you know, I think he's in a great spot. I, I like the way they're using him because this is not a guy you can give, you know, starter innings by any means over 162 game season when he didn't pitch in 2019 and barely pitched last year, you know, just in, in spring training. Um, so I, I like the way they're handling him as a way to keep him, you know, healthy, uh, being able to use him, you know, hopefully in peak form all season long, you know, maybe they put him in the rotation toward the end of the year. Um, but it, it's great to see Michael Kopech back to, to be in the Michael Kopech we always saw. I mean, we, I want to say like the, the years run together to me a little bit, Jonathan, was it, 2017 oh gosh it was 2016 <laughs> we saw him in the Arizona Fall League I, I can't believe it's been five years Jonathan but like I don't know if you got to see him that fall but he looked great there we saw him in the Futures game he looked great and was on the cusp of superstardom before he went down with that injury yeah and I'll be very interesting to see uh what happens with him long term um and how what everything you know this is a, a conversation for another day I think but just in terms of how pitching is leveraged uh, long-term after everything that's gone on here. Like, could you make an argument that using him in a multi-inning relief role, maybe spot starting him here and there to go three, four innings at the start of a game in the beat, could that be the best use of a Michael Kopech long-term? You know what? It might be. Um, it'd be very interesting to see what happens with him. But it, yes, it is, it's been great to see him be as dominant uh, as he is, has been. All right, let's wrap things up as we always do with our mailbag. This one comes from at Mets next year. You may want to change the name. The Mets are playing good baseball right now. But as a Mets fan, it's hard not to get excited about Francisco Alvarez. And he said PCA, that's Pete Crow Armstrong, their first round pick from last year. Um, how quickly could they rise? And what do you see their ceilings as? And more generally, will high-performing prospects with their full season debut this year move more quickly than in previous years. Jim, you want to take first crack at that? Sure. I'll take first crack at the first part, and then I'll let you respond, and you can take the second part, and I'll, I'll follow up with that. We'll, we'll right. lay it out like that. Deal. Um, both these guys, uh, <laughs> small sample size alert, but off to great starts. Alvarez is hitting 529 with a 1,500-plus ops in, in low A, and poor Pete Crow Armstrong's only hitting 450 with an almost 1,200 ops in, in low A, so Alvarez is making them look bad. But no, I mean, these are – both extremely interesting guys. Alvarez is already, you know, one of the best catching prospects in the big leagues. When we last saw him in 2019, he was making his pro debut. He very quickly made his way to the Appy League, an advanced rookie league, which no longer exists. It's now summer college league. But even though he was young, he performed very, very well. You know, I, you know, I think – I don't know how fast he'll move because he's a catcher. And you need time to work on your defense. He's got the ability to be a solid defender, but that takes time. So – I mean, I think he'll get to the big leagues at a young age, but I don't think this is a case where we're going to look up and Francisco Alvarez, even if the bat's great, is going to be in the big leagues, say, you know, next year or early 2023 necessarily because the catching is going to take time. And as, as intriguing as he is, as good as the bat is, he's only played 48 pro games, you know. I, so, But I, I think his ceiling is probably all-star catcher. You know, Pete Crow kind of fits that. You know, I, I think he, he can really hit. He can play quality center field. I think that the biggest question we have about him, which you'll start to answer this year, is how much power is he going to be? He's a hit over power guy. He's not the, the biggest guy in the world. So, I, you know, is it going to be 15 homer power? Or is it going to be more? We, we have to see that. And, and I think, you know, I think that's ultimately going to determine his ceiling. I, I think he's at least a big league regular because I think he can, he's, he can definitely play up the middle, play that good center field and hit. It's just the power is going to determine is he a good player? Is he an all-star? You know, is he more than that? Um, so it was, we'll have to see. But, um, you know, if you're a Mets fan, like like this guy is, you, you have to be excited, you know, the first week of the season, how these guys have come out of the gates. Yeah, I mean, and with Pete Crow Armstrong, because of last year, like we hadn't seen him play. So th this is his first competitive action. I mean, you know, he participated in instructs, but that doesn't really count. Um, to come out of the gate like this, I mean, this is a guy who's always loved to play, and he's played well against high competition, you know, in summer showcases and for Team USA and things like that. Um, but I agree with you. And we may not answer that question about the power right now. He's playing in, wait, low A St. Lucie. Again, another thing to get to, to get used to along with Alvarez. So, you know, they're putting up good numbers there, but it's not exactly a, a hitting haven. So I, I don't know that you'll see the, the power just yet. I could see him... You know, because mostly because of what you mentioned about Alvarez working on the catching. Although, if if he 
continues to dominate the bat. I could see them both moving up a level this year, um, you know, and challenging them to see what it looks like in, in high A. You know, Pete Armstrong, you know, in a lot of ways is exactly where he would be even if last year hadn't been a wash, right? He would have gone out and played in the Appy League or the Gulf Coast League or something like that. Uh, maybe if he had done really well, he'd get a taste of full season ball, but likely would have started in low A this year. Um, so he, he's kind of right where he is. So to answer, I think, the the, the second part of that question, uh, I, you know, I'm as intrigued as, as at Mets next year is in terms of how that's going to play out. And I think it's going to depend. I think there are going to be some players uh, who are able to move more quickly because they were sort of sent to a level that they wouldn't normally be at, you know, that had there been a 2020, they would have played past that level already. Uh, and then there are guys like, you know, like a Pico Armstrong who is exactly where he would be and has every chance to, to move him, himself up. I, you know, I think it, it Jim, it's going to be interesting because teams had to make decisions, right? There, there are, are a group of prospects who are still in extended spring training because there will be, you know, the Gulf Coast League and uh, and the uh, rookie level Arizona League. But that's it for short season baseball. So if you have, uh, you know, a, a, a good, really young player, you had a choice to make, and some of those guys may get pushed to full season ball. Some of them are already there. Uh, I don't know why, but Robert Poisson of the A's jumps to mind as a guy who's not played anywhere, and they pushed him to full season ball right away because of that lack of, of short season. You know, will that create a backlog? You know, how does that trickle up? I, you know, I think it's a little too early to really answer this, the, the last part of this question. No, I think it is too. I get my suspicion just because of something we touched on earlier, where teams, I think most teams, aggressively assigned a lot of their better players to begin the season, you know, based on that whole, you know, extrapolating what would have happened last year. And if that had happened, then they'd be at this level. So even though, you know, it got, you know, like the extreme examples we cited were, were Bobby Witt Jr. and, and CJ Abrams, who I think CJ played a little bit in rookie ball. I mean, played a little bit in low A, had played in rookie ball. Bobby Witt played in rookie ball and now they're in double A. So, I think because a lot of the top prospects were aggressively assigned, it makes me think if I had to guess, and again, like you said, Jonathan, we're just guessing that maybe we aren't going to see a ton of movement because they've already pushed guys pretty aggressively to start. So we'll, we'll just have to see. It's going to be difficult. I do think going forward, I mean, much like the draft, because there, there have been a bunch of changes, new events added to the draft. The draft was moved forward. All that would have had an effect on the draft, even if we weren't dealing with COVID. We have all these changes to the minor leagues with fewer teams and the season starting later. And, you know, and you have COVID on top of that, too. I, I think once we, we get accustomed to this new system, I do think players in general will move more quickly in the future because you're going to have to keep them moving because you have fewer minor league teams, if that makes sense. But but I'm with you. We're, we're going to have to kind of see how this year plays out. I, I, I don't think even what necessarily happens in 2021 is going to be, you know, foreshadowing that much what's going to happen going forward. Yeah, and I'm sure this is a topic we will revisit uh, over and over. And I'll just to wrap uh, a bow on this whole episode, I think the one thing, and we've talked about this before, and obviously it's internal reports and, uh, you know, farm directors are going to love their own guys. But everyone that I talked to was pleasantly surprised at how hard the players in their system worked during the shutdown when they first came back and then during the offseason to head into this year. Uh, and I'm just curious to see how that's going to impact their performances as we move forward. All right. That's going to wrap this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Only good ones. Only good ones now. Um, thanks for listening. Jason Ratliff, keep resting. Talk to all of you next week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, 
I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB.